0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of the Atlanta Man podcast. I am your host, Ryan Rogers, and on today's episode, we have Falcons football to talk about, Um, for better or for worse. The Falcons are back playing football. We'll get into their game result here shortly. Um, We also have the Braves, who had a a solid week. Uh, The Braves just took care of business. I'll just put it that way, of what they did this week. And we got a little bit of college football to talk about, but... We'll be talking about those lovely Atlanta Falcons and their week one opener at home against the Philadelphia Eagles. And it was one to forget for the Falcons. They lose 32-6 to to the Philadelphia Eagles. They do not score a touchdown. They get two field goals, and that is it from the offense. And now I will get into the whole schematics of the game and what happened and what didn't happen. And this one, so the Falcons got the ball first to start the game, and actually got off to a solid start. Uh, they drove right downfield, right into the red zone, but um, offense just kind of stalled out in the in, in the end zone. Um, kind of a Falcons of old, just getting downfield in a hurry, and just coming up with only three points when you get inside the twenty. Um, but it was just the first drive of the game, and the offense looked solid. Calvin Ridley had three catches on the first drive. Um, but he'd only finish the game with five, so three catches in the opening drive of the game and only had two more for the remainder of the game, which is uh, this first drive only was five minutes long. So that's, uh, that's a long time uh, with very few catches for Calvin after the first possession. Uh, the Eagles punch back uh, with a touchdown from uh, Jalen Hurts to their rookie wide receiver, Devontae Smith. The Alabama connection gets them six make the extra point, they lead seven to three, and that was the score heading into the second quarter. And the second, Falcons went on a drive to end the first and the bled, the bled into the second quarter, and very early in the second, they kicked another field goal, um, Kui Koo from 27 yards out, kind of the same story as the first drive, the offense went downfield, but uh, offense just stalled out in the red zone, and they only come up with three points, so now it's a seven to six game. And then right at the end of the second quarter, things kind of fall apart. Not kind of, they do fall apart for the Falcons. They give up a nine yard touchdown to Dallas Goddard. And they also give up a two point conversion to Miles Sanders. So kind of a, a um, disastrous turn of events in the last minute because they scored this touchdown with two seconds left in the second quarter. Falcons kind of gave us some big plays right there to end the half. So they go into halftime down 15 to six. And then whole third quarter pretty much goes by without any scoring until there's a minute 25 left. And Kenneth Gainwell, the Eagles, has an eight yard touchdown run to make it 22 to six. And then, honestly, that was kind of the nail in the coffin even though it was only a two possession game. The Falcons offense could get absolutely nothing going. Uh, Their defense did come up with some stops in the fourth quarter to give them a chance to get back in this game, but the offense just did not take advantage of it. The Eagles got another touchdown with four minutes left to Jalen Rieger to make it 29-6, and then they kicked a field goal with a minute left to make it 32-6, and that would be the final 32-6 Eagles. They win in Mercedes-Benz on week one. So let's get into the offense, which is the main focal point of what everyone's talking about, um, how poorly they performed, and um, how poorly the pass protection was, mostly. So we'll get into some numbers here. We'll start off with the uh, standard numbers. Matt Ryan, um, he had 21 completions on 35 attempts for 164 yards, um, not not a lot of passing yards for Matt. He had zero touchdowns, and uh, he only averaged 4.7 yards per completion, uh, QBR of 17.6, and a QB rating of and i'm just i'm looking at this for the first time a stat page and he got sacked three times for a total of 28 yards which is just um just fitting um we'll head to the run game Uh, the falcons leading rusher in this game was actually Cordero patterson who i think got a little little uh two two less of what's the word Two little carries in this game. Only seven carries and had 54 yards and led the team. That's 7.7 yards per carry. Uh, he had a long of 14, which was the Falcons' longest run of the day. Uh, Mike Davis had 15 carries for only 49 yards and 3.3 yards per carry. His longest was 12. Um, then we'll go to the receivers. Leading receiver was Calvin Ridley. Um, five catches for 51 yards um, on eight targets. Ten, ten yards uh per catch, so kind of a disappointing day for Calvin, but that's just kind of the whole theme of the offense in this one. Cal Pitts making his debut, and he was the team's second-leading receiver um, on four, four catches for 31 yards, but that was kind of – it's not true that he was – I mean, it is true that he's the second-leading receiver, but he was nowhere to be found most of the game. Um, some of that's just him getting locked up, maybe struggling a little bit as a rookie, but he was, he was on the field a, a ton – the Falcons. They were definitely um, swapping him out a good bit. We saw some people not not loving that Cal wasn't on the field as much as they would like him to. He did have eight targets, though, the same amount as Calvin Ridley, but came up with four of them. Um, and then Hayden Hurst also had four catches for 28 yards as the other tight end, and that's pretty much it from the receivers. Then he had some catches from Mike Davis and Keith Smith. Cordero Patterson, uh, Cordero Patterson had a couple of catches, and Russell Gage, surprisingly, had zero catches on just two targets, which is a uh, Kind of odd to see from him because he is the quote-unquote wide receiver two on the team, even though Kyle Pitts is probably the second option. But even though even with um, Julio and Calvin playing in the past, Gage would always usually get a few catches. I remember last year in on week one, the Falcons went crazy with their wide receivers, and they all had 100 yards, Ridley, Julio, and Russell Gage. So a quiet day from him. So we will move on to what the defense did, and I think the defense was – Was solid Um, they kind of had their moments where they fell apart just like at the end of the second half or the second quarter rather and um, you know they did give up I guess the two the last 10 points they gave up were a bit garbage time because the Falcons were just out of it and the offense wasn't doing anything so yeah that that this is not a loss that's going to be really on the defense even though they did give up 32 points this is a very modest 32 points that they gave up Um, in in the second half and in the, in the fourth quarter, especially, they were getting stops. And for a large portion of the second half, this was only a two-score game. So they were getting stopped for the offense, and the offense was just shooting themselves in the foot, bad penalties, really a couple of bad offensive pass interferences on Ridley, and I think another one was on Hayden Hurst, just some unnecessary pass interference calls that didn't even affect the play. But erased big gains for the Falcons, and I'm not gonna, I'm not going to sit here and say that they would have won the game if that didn't happen. But definitely not what you want, and definitely did not help the cause of this struggling offense, um, which is definitely concerning. This offense being this bad is definitely concerning, um, but it is not on the all on the play calling and all on the coaching. Um, we will get into the offensive line struggle in this game, and um, I say offensive line struggle, but this is really just going to be like the. The Jalen Mayfield, I don't even know how to say it. I don't want to slander the man too much, but this is going to be the Jalen Mayfield experience recap. Um, Rookie rookie, um, offensive lineman, third-round pick this year, and he was the worst offensive player on the field according to Pro Football Focus grades. He had a 28.8 total ranking, but he had a 1.4 pass block grade. 1.4 1.4 out of 100 on his pass blocking. He finished 28.8 on his total grade which en- encompasses pass blocking and run blocking, but on his pass blocking 1.4 just let just out of 100. That's how these grades work. You know, obviously if you get a high 90s it's like it's like kind of like how you would grade a, like you were graded in school, you know, on a scale of 1 200 90s and a 80s or b's c's or uh, 70s or c's yada 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 1.4 pass blocking grade that is how bad he was at protecting Matt Ryan when he went back to pass that's the lowest that I've ever seen from an offensive lineman I don't know if that um I don't know if it's ever gotten worse than that I I have no idea um I probably could research it and see what it is but I I didn't even know that they could even get that low. I mean, I've like 28.8 is bad, a bad grade for sure. But having a 1.4 on your pass blocking, I mean, this doesn't even go for just pass blocking. Just for any player to be that bad at what they're doing on the field to make it be your grade of 1.4 out of 100 is just mind boggling bad. And he is a rookie, so. You know, I'm not gonna sit here and say that Jalen Mayfield is done and he'll never be a productive player. But you cannot run him back out there next week. He's just not ready. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to switch things up. Maybe bring in a free agent or something because he is just not getting it done for for this offensive line. It is just not gonna happen. All right, now we're gonna see some uh, more positives for the offense and the defense to you for the PFF grades and just who had the good scores in this one. No one had a spectacular score on offense. Uh, Number one, uh, probably the biggest surprise of the whole day, uh, the the most pleasant surprise of the whole day, Cordero Patterson had the number one PFF grade out of the entire Falcons offense with 74.8, which isn't insane, it's solid. But um, for him to be number one for the Falcons is a bad thing, but it's also good that he stepped up and had a solid game in his Falcons debut. Uh, Number two was uh, our left guard, Drew Dahlman, a 69.4, pretty nice rating for him. Fullback Keith Smith had a 67.1, and our right guard, Chris Lindstrom, went for a 66.3, and our other right guard, Colby Gassette, had a 65.9. So that's the top five offensive grades for the Falcons. None of them are really that good except for Patterson's, I guess, but yeah. Not a lot of positive to take out of this game for the offense. So we'll move on to the defense now. And uh, cornerback TJ Green had the best grade out of the whole defense with an 84.6 at the cornerback position. Defensive end Jonathan Bullard had a 72. Uh, Second-year linebacker Michael Walker had a 66.3. Jalen Hawkins had a 64.9 at strong safety. And Fabian Moreau had a 61.5 at cornerback. So, like I said, the defense... You know, I'm not going to say the defense was insane in this game or crazy good or anything like that, but they did their job for the most part. They kind of had their moments where they did fall apart. But, um, you know, especially in the second half, in the third quarter and most of the fourth, fourth quarter, they were getting the Eagles off the field and getting Matt Ryan and the offense back on the field. The problem was they the, the offense got back out there and just sputtered and couldn't get nothing going. And, you know, by the time – The Eagles got the ball back late in the game in the fourth quarter. They were just able to add on some garbage time points because defense had to be gassed because they were just getting thrown right back out there right after they got off because the Falcons' offense just wasn't doing anything. So that will be about it for the Falcons. Um, I'll do a little look ahead now for what they got next week. and um, Things aren't going to get much easier next week because they go down to Tampa Bay to face the defending Super Bowl champs the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Tom Brady and yeah that um, I'm not gonna be looking forward to that one necessarily that's gonna be a tough one right now they have them as 13-point underdogs uh, that's what Vegas has the line from Caesar Sportsbook so yeah Falcons are not are not favored to win this one but hopefully we can just see some more encouraging um, encouraging signs of life for this team next week so not it's not a great start for the Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot era in Atlanta Uh, not a good start at all but it is just week one we have 16 games left in this uh, 17 game 17 game season so Plenty of time to maybe turn things around and at least have a solid season. I'm not thinking this team is going to be a playoff team or anything, but just to have something to build off of and something to uh, look forward to in the future and thinking, look, maybe next year we can uh, have a special season and get something going. So still time to turn that around, but definitely not the start you wanted. A pretty abysmal performance against the Eagles. Now we will move on to the Atlanta Braves who are in contention unlike the Falcons or what the Falcons are looking like right now. Uh, the Braves had a solid week. They went four and two. Um, they had they had a pretty favorable schedule this week. They had three against the Nationals and three against the Marlins. They take two out of three in both series. That's exactly what they needed to do at least. I mean, I'd like for them to maybe sweep one of these series, but hey, they took care of their business they um won the back ends of each series the uh bookends of each series rather uh, we'll move on to the first game of the week which was on tuesday uh, it was braves and nationals the braves sent max free to the mound and he didn't look his sharpest but he still had a very solid game uh, six innings pitched one earned run and five strikeouts the nationals sent espino to the mound and he only went five innings gave five earned runs there was some uh, dramatics in this game. Um, on, one on a home run that was hit by the Nationals to tie the game in the seventh to make it six. No, make it five to five. But there was also some dramatics in the ninth inning between Will Smith and Juan Soto. I'll get into those shortly. Um, but yeah, Yadiel Hernandez hit a three run homer off of Tyler Matzik in the seventh to make it five to five. But Ozzy Aubies saves the day with a two run shot in the seventh to make it seven to five the Braves would tack on one more run to make it eight to five on another Ozzy Albies hit a RBI single to drive in Dansby and that would be the ball game eight to five the Braves win but in the bottom of the ninth in this one with two out or with one out rather Juan Soto is up to bat and these two have some history Will Smith and Juan Soto Um, last year once one soda was coming up to hit when will smith was pitching he was due to lead off and apparently Juan Soto was standing too close to like the batter's box he was trying to get like a good look at will smith and he was kind of like standing behind the catcher sort of just trying to get a look at smith because he was about to go face him and will smith then like um, told him to get back into the on deck circle uh and all that stuff just kind of being a baby um And then Juan Soto comes up and he just hits a absolute bomb off Will Smith and Juan gives him a little stare, flips his bat and Will Smith is you know using some uh, provocative language at Juan Soto as he runs the bases all that and that's kind of where it started. Um, Earlier this year Juan Soto hit a walk-off single off Will Smith so it uh, kind of appears that Juan Soto has Will Smith's number so Raves with a three-run lead in the bottom of the ninth. Will Smith has one out. He throws curveball in the dirt for a ball, and Soto does his little shuffle. That he that's his patent shuffle. He always does it. And um, I guess Will Smith was like, you know what? I don't like this guy. We're up by three. I'm about to throw at him, and he throws a fastball and hits him right in the back. Um, I think it was intentional, personally. I do. Um, I think when Soto did his shuffle after the first pitch. It kind of just made Smith mad, and he was like, oh, I, got, I can actually hit him. The bases aren't loaded or anything. I can I can just hit him. We can have a lead, and that's what he did. And the Nationals thought that he did too because we move on to game two, and in the first inning when Freddie Freeman steps up to the, ba- to the plate, Sean Nolan decides that it is time to exact some revenge for Juan Soto, and the first pitch he throws to Freddie is behind his back. Completely misses him. Uh, Freddie looks at the empire and says that's all he gets you know he had, he had a shot that's all he gets and then the next one he drills Freddie and hits him Nolan was ejected from the game um, so that that was the Nationals getting back at the Braves because they do they were thinking that Will Smith did hit Soto on purpose which I also think and um you know I think it's dumb that Will Smith did that I think it is completely uh, classless on his part I think it is no better than what um, some of the stuff the Marlins have done to the Braves and Ron Acuna before with the Jose Reina stuff. It's no better than that. Um, it's just kind of you're hitting a guy because he's better and you can't really get him out. So I think I think Smith's plan when he went to pitch a Soto was, yeah, we're just going to put him on first because we're not going to let this guy beat us. And he threw the first ball to walk him, and he said, you know what, I don't have to walk I can just hit this guy because I don't like him. That's, that's what I think Will Smith did. And when – when that happens, you know, I'm not con- condoning that Washington should have hit Freddie. But when you do that kind of stuff, this is going to happen. You're going to put your your own players in jeopardy. Now, if Nolan threw behind Freddie and didn't hit him, then I'm kind of fine with what the Nationals did. But the fact that he threw behind him and missed and then threw him again and hit him, is like, all right, you had your shot. You can't do it twice, you know. If he would have hit Freddie with the first pitch, he wouldn't have got ejected. It was the fact that he threw behind Freddie, missed, and then threw at him and hit him with the second pitch. That got him ejected. Uh, that was the second time this year that a opposing pitcher has got ejected in the first inning against the Braves. And uh, the shocking part is the Braves have lost both of those games because they do go on to lose this one 4-2. to two. Um, Offense didn't have much going on in this one. Uh, Duvall and Rosario had solo homers. But that was it. Um, in the seventh inning, Juan Soto hit a absolute bomb off of Richard Rodriguez, and that was just kind of his uh, his own personal payback, I guess. And he blew a kiss to the Braves' bullpen. Um, I'm guessing that was at Will Smith, if I had to guess, of who it could be. Um, but, yeah, just kind of a frustrating one. Offense couldn't get much going. Um, Brian Snicker used Drew Smiley again in the bullpen, and that that's, that's just never good. Um, he gave up a run because, of course, he did. We'll move on to Thursday's game, which was a lot more fun and uh, probably one of the more fun games in the entire year um, for the Braves. This was an absolute back and forth showdown um, and it got started in the top of the first and the Nationals for the third game in a row scored in the first inning against the Braves. Josh Bell had an RBI double and Yadiel Hernandez had an RBI ground out to make it 2-1 after the top of the first inning against Huascar Inouye. But then, Steven Vogt in the third inning gets the Braves on the board with his first homer as a Brave to make it 2-1. Later on in the fourth, Austin Riley would double to score Freddie Freeman to make it 2-2, and he is so nice that he did it twice. Steven Vogt again in the fifth, an absolute no doubter over the bullpen to give the Braves a 3-2 lead. But that would not be enough. Carter Keyboom singles to give the Nationals the lead in the sixth. But Jorge Soler takes it right back in the bottom of the sixth with a moonshot of his own. But the Nationals came back in the seventh. Lane Thomas with an RBI single. That ties the game at 4-4, and then in the 8th, Luis Garcia hits a no-doubter off of Rich Rodriguez, and oh no, the Braves are down 5-4, heading into the bottom of the 8th, but Freddie Freeman ties it on a bomb into the chop house. It's 5-5, and then just two batters later, Adam Duvall gives them the lead to make it 6-5, heading into the 9th but the Braves could not hold on to the lead in the top of the ninth. Will Smith gives up a run on a Josh Bell force-out. It could have been a double play to end the game, but Ozzy kind of had an errant throw to first, and Freddie couldn't corral it, and Josh Bell slid in head first safely. That was with the bases loaded. And that tied the game at six. But in the bottom of the 10th, young jock getting ready for jocktober gives the Braves the win on an RBI single to left field. That scored Ozzy Yalbies and the Braves win the game and the series against the Nationals with a 7-6 to victory in the last game of the season against the Nationals. So big win right there. Um, if the Braves would have lost this game, it would have been a very bad loss, uh, a huge blemish on the week for sure, but they were able to pull it out, um, a back-and-forth game, one of the more fun games of the year that you can look back on because the Braves didn't end up winning, and it was just madness throughout just a real back-and-forth battle between the Braves and the Nats. So we'll move on to the weekend series against the Florida Fish, and the Braves took game one of this one 6-2, to two. Ian Anderson got the start, and he was pretty solid in this one. Uh, five innings pitch, just two run runs, got nine punchies. So that's good to see getting nine strikeouts after not having any strikeouts in his first two starts back from injury. Uh, the Braves, common theme of this whole entire week is that the Braves did not score first in one game, and that continued in the top of the first because Ian Anderson gave up his only two runs in the top of the first on a Jesus Sanchez homer. Um, Braves did not score until the bottom of the fifth, though, and they had a big rally. Adrianza had an RBI single to make it two to one. Jorge Soler with a three-run single on a air in center field to make it four to two, and then the Freddie Freeman had a infield single to make it five to two. So that was kind of the ball game right there in the fifth, the five-run inning. The Braves would add on one more in the eighth on a RC base hit to make it six to two. But the big fifth inning was all they needed. Braves win six to two. Move on to Saturday, which um, I didn't get to watch much of this one because there's a lot of college football going on. But I did uh, well, I was keeping up with them on my phone. Um, Braves did fall behind three to nothing in this one early on, um, which has just been the common theme of the week. Um, Brian De La Cruz had an RBI single off of Charlie Morton. Lewis Brinson had a sack fly. Eddie Alvarez had a homer, and that was 3 to nothing after two innings. Jorge Soler had an RBI double in the fifth, though, to make it 3-1. to one. Freddie Freeman had an RBI single to make it 3-2 in the fifth as well. And then Austin Riley with an RBI single to tie the game, but in the eighth, Brian De La Cruz hits a homer off a rich rod, and then Jesus Sanchez hits another one right after to make it 5-3 to three, Miami. Uh, they would add on in the top of the ninth with an RBI sack bunt to make it 6-3, and then Freddie Freeman had an RBI single in the ninth, but it wasn't enough for the Braves to come back. They lose 6-4. to four with Charlie Morton on the mound. Not the best start for Charlie, but he still went seven innings. Uh, seven innings, three and in runs, and seven strikeouts. It's a fine start. Uh, just kind of, the Nationals kind of hopped on him early. Rich Rod had a rough outing out of the pen. Um, and uh, that was the difference in this one, a two-run loss. But the Braves would bounce back on Sunday and win 5-3. to three. They do fall behind early, though, because, of course they did. Jesus Sanchez hits a homer off of Max Fried. Eddie Rosario, though, gives the Braves a, the lead in the fourth with a two-run homer to make it 2-1. to one. Travis Darno has an RBI single to make it 3-1. to one. Miguel Rojas does get a run back for them, and then they got another from Jesus Sanchez to tie the game in the sixth. But Ozzy Albies goes deep for his twenty-eighth homer in the bottom of the seventh to make it four to three, and then Freddie Freeman does it with him with his thirtieth homer on his birthday to make it five to three, and that would be the final of this one. Braves win five to three, and they improve to seventy-six and sixty-six on the season. Uh, We'll take a look at the standings as of right now. The Braves have a a four-and-a-half game lead over the Phillies for first place and a five-game lead over the Mets, who are in third place right now. So a pretty comfortable cushion that the Braves have right now above the Phillies and the Mets. Uh, This week we'll be playing the Rockies at home. So that should be another favorable series. because the Rockies are not a great team when they're on the road, even though they just beat the Phillies on the road. But um, that's neither here or there. Um, They will come to Truist to play the Braves, and then this weekend they will head out to San Francisco to face the Giants and start off their final West Coast trip of the season. So we'll now get into um, one of my favorite things to look at, and that is the Braves' playoff playoff odds. According to baseball reference, they're – their uh, percentage chances of making the playoffs and winning the division. And as of right now, baseball reference has the Braves at a 93.7% chance of making the postseason and a 91.6% chance of winning the division. They give them an 11.4% chance of winning the World Series, which seems seems a bit high. But um, yeah, we have a, they have the Braves have a higher chance to win the World Series than the Chicago White Sox, which is interesting. And uh, only slightly lower than teams like the Giants and the Astros. It's pretty, pretty interesting what goes into their, um, their mythology, methodology rather. But the Braves have pretty good odds to win the division right now. The Phillies are all the way down to just a five point nine percent chance to win the division, and a fifteen percent chance of winning or just making the postseason in general, making the wild card game. So yeah, Braves are sitting pretty. They got a nice cushion. And they have a nice opportunity to add on to it this week against the Rockies. And then they have three in San Francisco. So um, hopefully this time next week, the Braves have furthered their lead in the division, uh, which is very possible because they have a favorable, favorable series coming up against the Rockies. And uh, that'll be it for the Braves talk. And um, now we will just brush over um, some of the college football results from the state of Georgia. And this should be quick because both Georgia Tech and Georgia had some cupcakes. Uh, Georgia Tech faced Kennesaw State, and uh, they won 45-17. to Not much to talk about there. And the Georgia Bulldogs, they faced University of Alabama in Birmingham, and they won 56-7. to So a couple of... Uh, just gimmies for both of these teams. Georgia Tech needed to win after losing to NIU last week, and Georgia just adds on to their season and their 2-0 record. Um, next week, both teams will be facing South Carolina opponents. Georgia will host South Carolina at home, and Georgia Tech will be on the road to face Clemson. So that should be, should be a fun week of football for me next week because I got uh, Georgia Tech going to play Clemson, and then the Falcons – going to play the Buccaneers in their home stadium so yeah should be a fun weekend next weekend for sure um, definitely Um, but yeah that'll that'll do it um, for this episode Um, if you made it this far for listening if you made it this far listening rather I appreciate it and I thank you and I will see you in the next one